Welcome, my friends, to another episode of Is That Really Legal? with Eric Rubin. Today, I get the opportunity to talk with Leah Kearney, married name Schneeflock, but Leah Kearney, who uh, is an actress. You may have seen her in The Marvelous Ms. Maisel, um, Law & Order SVU. Um, she has created her own uh, show that was here in New York. She um, is currently producing and directing professionally and writes a ton. And she's just a really interesting, creative woman uh, out of Minnesota to the big city of New York. Uh, and she's just had a really interesting uh, journey. And it's, I think it's an adventure. I think she does, too. Well, you'll hear it from her. You know what's an adventure also is biting into an Abe's muffin. What makes it an adventure is it is allergen-free, really, you know, they're healthy, um, and yet they taste so good. Usually when you buy something that's supposed to be a healthy treat, you're very disappointed. I promise you, you won't be disappointed with Abe's muffins. And if you have questions about any of the guests, whether it's Leah this time or people we've had before, or you have any questions about Abe's muffins, go to the website, isthatreallylegal.com. Leave me a message there. You'll see there's a place to do that. Uh, and of course, if you have ideas for some guests we should have in the future, we're going to have some amazing guests coming up. But if you think there's somebody that I should be talking to, whether they're a lawyer in showbiz or anything for that matter, let me know. Uh, but you're going to hear from Leah about the, all the interesting twists and turns of what it's like to be her, uh, to be a woman in this creative field and to be a director and producer. Anyway, here she is. I'll let her speak for herself. Leah Kearney. Leah Kearney, welcome to Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. Am I calling you Leah Kearney these days? Is that okay? Well, I, I, yes, that's my professional name, I suppose. So, uh... Uh, that works for me, and thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. I'm going to expose you right off the top that you're married to Andy Schneeflock. I am, and proud of it. <laughs> As anyone would be. Uh, and I've had the opportunity to interview Andy. I'm not sure where this will show up, either before or after. Um, but uh, as I say in the intro, I've known you for well over 10 years. Um, and... Uh, I talk a little bit about you, but I'd rather you talk about you. So tell everybody where you're from. I am from St. Paul, Minnesota. And how did you get rid of your accent? <laughs> <laughs> well, it still shows up from time to time, I'll be honest. Um, every now and then a nice Minnesota O pops out. or uh, um, But honestly, acting school, um, going to, to voice and speech training, um, you know, we had to learn a standard American, standard American. Uh, and um, I have a memory of one of the exercises that we had to do was to hold like a mirror, like a, uh, you know, like a makeup compact with a mirror right. up to our mouths while we made certain vowel sounds. And one of the vowel sounds that I could not make was all, as in like hot copper coffee pot because the way I said it was hot copper coffee pot. And when, 
when I would try and say it with the rounded, the rounded shape, it was like muscles that, that I'd never used before. And so the sides of my lips would quiver. Uh, and, <laughs> I can relate a, a little bit growing up on, in Massapequa, Long Island. Uh, I also had some issues with the way I talked. I didn't get to go to <laughs> acting school, but I did work on my voice because people didn't want to hire that guy for everything, you know? Yeah, right. So yeah. you, you grew up in Minnesota, but before acting school, I know for a fact that you knew at a pretty young age that you wanted to be a performer. Is that accurate? I, d I did, yeah. According to my mom, I, I announced around age eight that, <laughs> that I was no longer going to be a veterinarian. I was going to be an actor. Wow. Well, I'm, I feel badly for all the cats and dogs who've died. Oh. <laughs> As I tell my wife, Holly, I've saved so many lives by not being a doctor. My hands sometimes shake when I cut things in the kitchen. And she looks at me like, oh, you would have been a terrible doctor. <laughs> yeah, I have trouble putting a Band-Aid on somebody. So anyway, enough about me. Yep. So you know veterinary, although we'll get back to that. There is a point in your career fairly recently where you delivered a cow. I did, as a matter of fact. <laughs> but don't let me I forget do that. I have some I animal husbandry skills. <laughs> I'm going to get back to that. But so, so at eight, you decide you're going to be a performer. Were you one of those kids who watched certain Disney movies a million times over and over again and knew all the songs and all that oh, kind of stuff? Oh, yeah, uh, for sure. Although I think what actually really sparked it for me was um, – when, when I was very young, maybe like five or so, uh, we had been gifted tickets to uh, the local children's theater in, in Minneapolis, which is actually a very um, professional Tony award-winning children's theater. So they, they do really fantastic work um, for kids of all ages. Uh, but, but uh, you know, my mom was a single mom. We didn't have a lot of money, but we were gifted tickets to go see, like season tickets to this theater. And I started getting to see, like, um, I'm trying to think of what some of the plays were, you know, Pippi Longstocking, and uh, I'm pretty sure there was a Nancy Drew mystery, and The Frog and the Toad, and, you know, Babar the Elephant, things like that. And I, I just um, was really taken by, by the magic of, of live performance, or just performance I'm, in general. I'm with and, you. As a kid, I went to something called the Westbury Music Theater, or the Westbury Music Fair, excuse me, mm. which was like a tent when it started and then became a building. And um, I don't know if you know who Frank Gorshin was. He was an actor in the 60s. He, did, he was a stand-up comic. Did, well, he was the Riddler on the old Batman show. Oh. And I saw him as a kid in Promises, Promises. Mm -hmm. And I saw famous actress Molly Pecan in a play that nobody does anymore called The Milk and Honey, which is about the creation of Israel. A musical about <laughs> the creation of Israel, of course. <laughs> of course. Um, among other things that I saw there. And uh, I just was like, it was like, I don't know, like when some kids get like, oh, I'm going to be a priest. They go to church and there's a thing. I also mm -hmm. got bit by that, like, this place is amazing. Like, how is this happening? 
this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. The lights go down, people go there, and then things happen, and I can't believe it. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I just fell in love with, like, in that moment, although I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't understand the many ways that it has manifested in my life until later, but I think it, I fell in love with the craft of storytelling. You know, I fell in love with, you know, we all love being told a good story. And, and that was what those early theater performances were for me. Like the lights go down, everything else disappears and you just go on this journey. So. You yeah. are, uh, I mean, of course I know you as an actress, I know you as a director and a writer, but ultimately all of those things um, at the heart of it, you are a storyteller. Well, and I think those all I serve think you. And those are various, uh, I don't know, mediums that you operate in to ultimately be a storyteller, right? Yeah, yeah. I've come to think of it more and more that way as, I mean, I think now a lot of people call themselves a creator, which is kind of another um, creative, way of... By the way, creative, I hear a lot too. Yeah. And I use it, I use it, and I kind of have to bite my tongue when I say that I give information for creatives, but we're all creatives. We're all creatives. Absolutely. I, I, creativity takes so many shapes and forms. Um, but, uh, but yeah, in terms of my particular interest being in telling stories, I, I do love having my hands in all aspects of it now, um, performing, but also, uh, being, you know, writing and producing and directing and all of that stuff. And you, Coming from Minnesota, uh, a kid raised by a single mom. I mean, you knew your dad. It's not like he disappeared. Oh, yeah. He's always been a part of my life. It was just, I, you know, saw him twice a week as opposed to living with my mom full time. So, But you also had a, a, just because I know you, um, I don't know what your religious background was. I assumed it was sort of generic Christian. (laughs) fair. I mean, it's not Catholic. It wasn't Baptist. It was kind of like Jesus is a good guy, kind of Jesus. Because there's a lot of different Jesuses. And I know I'm Jewish, but I've been to a lot of churches and there's there's angry Jesus. There's I'm keeping an eye on you, Jesus. There's like all about love, Jesus. I mean, because there's a lot of different people. So they they make Jesus the way they want him to be to serve their ends. Oh my God, I'm getting political on my show. But it kind of is a little like that, right? I mean, I don't think yeah. I'm the first one to say this. I hope I'm not blowing anybody's minds with this. <laughs> but you also grew up like going to a Jewish community center mm-hmm. and had a lot of Jewish friends. I did. And one of my first plays uh, was at the JCC. I was Issachar, one of the brothers in Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. <laughs> I don't, what's funny is I don't think of that as a Jewish show, although it is an Old Testament show. It's an Old Testament show. But I think Sir, what's his name, who wrote it with uh, yeah, sir, Tim Rice. Uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber. Andrew Lloyd Webber. I, and I will confess, and sorry, Sir Lloyd, uh, I'm not a fan. I think a lot of his <laughs> stuff is really overdone. But my wife, if she knew I said that, would come in here and literally smack my face because she loves Jesus Christ Superstar. And if I even said to her, Jesus Christ Superstar, she would break into one of several songs. I don't know what <laughs> yeah. that's about. My husband as well. Holly and uh, Andy could do a um, 
Like they could probably do the whole show. I think that would be an interesting idea for the two of them to do the show from memory, which is a thing that Andy does. I don't want to get too lost right, in right. that, but, but just the two of them doing the whole musical or better the movie because mm. the movie is a very strange bit of experience in my experience. I don't experience. think I've ever seen it. It's shot in the desert. <laughs> Everybody's sweating their asses off, <laughs> wearing like steel helmets and not much else. It's a very strange, and it's from Norman Jewison, which is just, can, hello, Jewy <laughs> son, Jesus Christ superstar. <laughs> I mean, it's a little too on the nose. All right, let's go back to you. So you're, oh, yes, so you're... We, were, we were talking about the JCC and I also spent two summers at uh, the JCC's summer day camp, Camp Butwin, not a joke, B-U-T-W-I-N, mm. uh, where I learned uh, sort of how to say um, Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Malachalalam. Is that close? I would not, well, it's, it's extremely good for, it's the beginning of most, well, excellent for shiksa. But mo, so for people who are not, for the people who are Jewish, hang in there. Uh, <laughs> for the people who aren't Jewish, what, what you said in Hebrew is basically, blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe. And then that's like the start of every basic uh, prayer for Jews. And then it, it's a little like, boy, this is not good, but I'm doing it anyway. It's a little like the setup to a joke. It's a little like <laughs> guy walks into a bar. To a bar. Like there, yeah. you know, it's like, so we're beginning like, you know, I'll bless our thou, Lord, God, King of the universe, who causes us to rest on the Sabbath or who God. makes the bread or does the wine thing. And you know those prayers because you did Friday nights probably. We so had you... apple juice and challah on Fridays at the end of camp. Um, but we also said that before every lunch meal. So, uh, and I, but no one, you know, no one really ever explained what it meant or how to pronounce it. So it was kind of one of those things where at age 10 or 11 or however old I was, I was sort of like, just, you know, I was just kind of like trying to figure it out. You, you could pass for Jewish. You have a very, you, it's I have a Hebrew name. I mean, it's, I pronounce it Leah, but I, you know, it's L-E-A-H is often spelled Leah or is often pronounced Leah. And, and you just have a very wholesome look but it could go a lot of different ways. I mean, you're not, you're very white. I am. But my people are super white. So True. it's certainly possible. And my experience of being a Jew is we didn't get a lot of information either. So <laughs> was not, I, I'm sort of retired from that whole thing. Although I've been told I can't really ever retire. It's like being, this is terrible, by the way. Like, please, if you feel you hate this, you can feel free to write me at isthatreallylegal.com and leave notes. But I was going to say, it's a little like being in the mafia. You're never out of it. You know, I'm always going to be a Jew. It's got nothing to do with whether I step foot in a synagogue or what I believe. It's got all this cultural stuff, you know, and also well, how other people see me. I honestly feel like that about being from Minnesota. It's like you can take the girl out of Minnesota, but you can't take the Minnesota out of the girl. And, you know, I've lived in New York for uh, over 13 years, almost like 14. And yet I still meet someone for the first time and they'll be like, where are you from? <laughs> You're not from here, are you? You're well, too nice. And I'm like, well, yeah, yeah. You are nice, um, but I, you know what people don't realize is people from New York are nice, 
We're often just in, we're just in a hurry and we can't like, please say what you got to say because we got stuff to do. And that was one of my first experiences when I moved here was how nice New Yorkers were just in a very different way. So like, you know, I'd be walking down the street and some guy would be like, hey, your shoe's untied. Thank you, sir. Right. So the untrained, it would be like, why is that guy yelling at me? It's like, number one, he wants you to know. And it's hard to hear in the street in New York. And also, he's got to tell you and have it heard in one shot. Because by the time he's done, he's going into the subway. And you, while you are lovely and he wants to take care of you, he can't be late. No. Well, absolutely. So he gets it all done. Yep. Very efficient. Very efficient. And I feel like I, I, there were a lot of those that, that I experienced in my first, uh, my first few months here. I love this as an idea for a short film. You know, a kid comes to the city and people are, are saying things in the rudest possible way that are absolutely lovely things. Yeah. But like, it's just like a very strange, and by the, the way, delivery. It's, yeah, right, right. Uh, you got to look past the delivery to the message. And, and you've lived in, I'll call it my neighborhood, or I've lived in your neighborhood for a while now. Because as I said with Andy, and uh, you and I could walk to each other's homes in 10 minutes and have, and have in fact done that. We've been in each other's homes. Yes. Boy, I'm looking forward to that again sometime. I know. I know that's a complaint. I'm sorry. I miss hugging my friends. I'm a hugger. I'm not, I mean... I like to think I'm not inappropriately so, but my no. friends, I like hugging my friends and I just miss that. I know everybody does and we need to be careful as I'm talking to you now, we've lost 250,000 people in this country mm-hmm. and the rates are going up. They've just closed the New York City schools again. Right. Uh, you know, um, I'm not going to get political. I'm just hopeful that there are some changes that are going to come our way. I know that there's vaccines on the way, so... I see it. I see light at the end of the tunnel. Um, Speaking of light at the end of the tunnel, you left Minnesota, (laughs) (laughs) which is not a terrible place. By the way, I had maybe one of the best chocolate chip cookies of my life in, in Minneapolis, Minnesota at a very fancy small hotel on an Island, on an Island in the middle of the Mississippi river. Yes. What is that Island called? Ah, I can't remember anymore, but there's like this super high end hotel. And I rolled in there at like 11 at night. I think, um, I was doing a book tour with friends and also stand up comedy. And so we roll in and I had this beautiful room to myself and they had a basket of cookies in the room. Oh, wow. We got to remember like when I've been doing tours in the past, it was either roll into a Hampton Inn, which was fine. It was just simple. And then maybe get a candy bar at the front and like go to bed. Or the whole other way was go to a fancy hotel where they had 24 hour room service. It's like, I'm wired, send me up a hamburger and a piece of mm. pie. You know, like it was, and this was kind of in the middle. It was like, the kitchen wasn't open, but there's this basket of beautiful cookies. And even if you're not hungry, you can't not eat the cookie when you show up. That's me. Yeah. I, that's my mental health problem. <laughs> it also had one of the first beds that was one of those adjust the thing. Oh, like the sleep number bed where you could yeah. kind of raise and lower it? Nice. Yeah. But the thing was, I was I was so overtired. I needed the perfect 
And I spent like half an hour trying to get it perfect. <laughs> <laughs> neurotic as hell. That's like me trying to find something to watch on Netflix. I always have to find the perfect thing. Even though I have a queue a mile long of, of all these shows that I want to watch. It's like, oh, what's it going to be? And I've seen you on Netflix. I want to transition a little bit. Yeah. Where, where did you go to acting school? I went to acting school in Minnesota, actually. I took a year off after high school because I kind of wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I mean, I knew I wanted to go to a, to get conservatory style acting training, but I wasn't sure if I wanted to go to get a liberal arts degree and an undergraduate degree and then go to grad school, or if I you know, wanted to just audition and go straight to someplace like Juilliard. Just and, to be clear, because I, I want to set it yeah. up for people, because who knows, maybe somebody wants to do this too who's listening. My understanding is there's two basic ways to go to school to be an actor. I did neither of those things. I took the occasional acting class in college and was in a performance every year at a liberal arts school. Did a show every year from Six Rivers, Six Rooms Riverview to Macbeth and everything in between. And graduated with a poli sci degree and no acting training, mm. right? But what, mo what most people who think they want to act is they might go to a liberal arts school and major in acting and get a bachelor's or even a BFA where they do acting, but they also take other courses, right? Mm -hmm. And Or people go to conservatory, which is like you are spending several years doing everything acting from mask work to, mm -hmm. to voice work to body stuff, animal play, tap <laughs> dancing, makeup like learning how to build sets like it's like a whole intensive it's kind of yeah. like those are your two choices and sometimes people go to grad school for an mfa right so so you were like i don't know what i want to do yeah and then i took that year off and and then in that year off this new program emerged that was a collaboration between the university of minnesota and the guthrie theater which is um, one of the premier regional theaters yeah, and big, it big, was big. essentially a hybrid program where I would get to have my cake and eat it too where I would get to still take a certain amount of a smaller course load of liberal arts credits um, those were usually in the morning like you would take your your academic classes from eight to noon and then the rest of the day was um, conservatory style acting training and then you'd usually rehearse at night for um, some production. So I auditioned, I, I got accepted and, and it was a really, uh, really awesome four-year training program. That's fantastic. I have to admit to you because I have ADD, when you said <laughs> have your cake and eat it too, I was reminded of an interview that I did with Men of Unprog, who's a oh, writer and a friend of ours. Cake connoisseur. Well, she says she literally has to have cake every day or she's sad. <laughs> <laughs> she literally eats cake every day. By the way, also thin, like you. Yeah. Like, I don't know how you people eat and stay thin. <laughs> I don't know what you do. It's pissing me off. You're a tiny person. And by tiny, I don't mean insignificant. You're like, you. I, by the way, you know, I could be completely off because it's 6'3". Everybody's tiny to me. It, but sure. I'm going to guess you're like 5'4". That's 100% accurate. I'm 5'4". Oh, okay. And like 40 pounds, like, who's, like just, there's not a <laughs> lot At a hundred, but yeah. Well, we don't have, we don't have out, I don't, anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's went to a terrible place real fast, sorry. <laughs> um, okay. 
So did you then, you graduate and you go, here I come to New York, theater capital of the world. Yeah, I, that was my game plan. I mean, I was always like, I got to get to New York. I got to get to New York. But I, I got offered jobs instead. <laughs> and so I actually stayed in the Midwest for a couple summers. I, um, I got to work at a wonderful Shakespeare festival outside of Madison, Wisconsin, called the American Players Theater. Beautiful outdoor amphitheater, rotating repertory theater, classic. And yeah, it wasn't all Shakespeare, but it was, you know, a range of classical plays. And it was just, I feel like that was my grad school in some ways. Sure. I mean, it's really great for people who don't know. There's a... A, a lot of what we call regional theater in the United States, much of the professional equity, which is the uh, actors union for stage performers. I actually was in some in New England mm. at that level where some of those people then went on to do lots of Broadway stuff. And I've actually seen them in Broadway. And, um, so, I mean, we're talking professional level stuff. I know you've gone on to do Broadway. So we'll talk about that too. But um, uh, you're you're dealing with really nice houses, meaning good size audiences, a couple hundred people in an audience, which really feels good when you're getting applause or cheers or, oh my God, Leah allowed some kind of sound to enter into our podcast. It's fun. Don't worry about it. An alarm. I must have said was, something wrong. It, it was an alarm that I'm not sure what it was supposed to notify us about, but I don't know. Are your eggs done? Or my, actually, my husband has something in the crock pot that might have been oh, what it was. Information. Um, so, and repertory uh, for people who don't know, that's when you are signed on. You're doing maybe four or five different plays. Sometimes they do a rotation during the week, and sometimes they run for one runs for a couple of weeks and then another one runs for a couple of weeks. It depends on the festivals, on the mm -hmm. companies, but they're really great as an actor because you get to do a lot of stuff. And I could see how you'd see that as a graduate program because yeah. you could be doing, you know, a restoration play, which are these very body comedies. You can be doing a, a tragic Shakespeare thing. You could be doing some kind of intense American classic Arthur Miller thing. You yeah. could be doing some screwball comedy, all of it. And you have to just be willing to roll with the punches. Also, yeah. you could be the star of one and supporting in another, right? Yep, absolutely. That's uh, that's what it was like, and it was it was a blast. And then also, there's the fact of like doing outdoor theater and having mosquitoes land on your face <laughs> as you're trying to, you know, say Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? And you're trying to be. Or there was one actually. I one of the wonderful roles I got to play was Juliet in Romeo and Juliet. And um, the funny, one of the funny uh, experiences was when it rained, they wouldn't stop the show or cancel the show unless it was like full on lightning, you know, where, where there was uh, risk of the electrical equipment being, you know. And killing um, people. And too. killing people. But if it was just rain, even hard rain, these audiences were hardy and they brought their ponchos and they would like stick it out. Like the groundlings of the yeah, old globe. Exactly. And so we were we were doing Romeo and Juliet and we made it all the way to Act Five in the tomb when Juliet is um you know, you think she's dead and Romeo thinks she's dead and he he comes and sees her and he's about to kill himself and just then 
the stage manager, the, the lightning finally started and the stage manager came over the, the intercom and was like, ladies and gentlemen, we have to end the show. Uh, you know, we're very sorry, but we can't continue. And so that was the one night when Romeo and Juliet got up and lived happily ever after because we, <laughs> they never killed themselves. That it was a, it was a, a romantic comedy ending. Yeah. That is hysterical. <laughs> I, I'm sorry that I wasn't there for that. I mean, that's a great story. I can't believe I've never heard that story before. Yeah, I, I haven't thought about it in a long time. I only did one Shakespeare myself because I don't, later on I learned, because I wasn't, like I said, I didn't go to acting school, but as I acted and got things, I learned how you are a type or how there are things that are just, you're suited for and other things you're not suited for. And I don't feel, when I was younger, I, I was okay for Macbeth. I was the Thane of Ross, which is a really awesome part. Mm -hmm. um, and I was up for Midsummer Night's Dream and couldn't do it because I had another commitment. But for them, other than those, I'm not really, I get this feeling people would be like, what's that tall Jewish guy doing in the middle of Richard III? <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, you know, he's that, or Henry V. I think Fifth, you could you know? be a great Richard III, though. Oh, uh, I, wow, from your mouth to God's ear. First of and all, that's, that's I can't no remember it. Thank you. I can't yeah. remember. No, I didn't take it like Jews. I was going to say, that's not any casting any aspersions <laughs> on any villainous tendencies you might have. It's just because well, I agree. Well, villains are the most fun parts to play. I mean, I've, I've done a few. I was Uncle Ernie in the Tommy musical, which oh. people didn't want to talk to me after the show. Like the audiences would talk to everybody and they saw me and they were like creeped out. And uh, I'm sort of proud of that. <laughs> um, yeah. but, so, uh, but, but you, I get for, you, you have a, you have a quality where I could see you in a lot of things. I mean, obviously not raisin in the sun, for instance, uh, no, but, um, I, I see you having a broad appeal even, and you know, you're not 20 anymore, I am but, not. but I feel like you're still very youthful. I feel it's an industry that, and I, I need to talk about this. I feel yeah. it's an industry where, well, like a lot of things in our culture, women get smacked around a little bit. Um, you know, I look, I'm 59. I have gray hair. And even though I just talked about the limits of how I could be cast, I still have a lot of, like, I can be any kind of lawyer, newspaper man, uh, all sorts of protagonists or antagonists, as long as they're within a certain age range. I feel like um, there's a lot more of the, what happened to that young actress from that thing? Mm -hmm. Well, she decided she couldn't put up with all the crap, so she decided to get married and have kids and then came back to it as like, oh, that's what she looks like? Or just, you know, there's a lot of that. Or yeah. there's what I call the Sandra Bullock model, which is you produce, you take the the oomph that you have in the business, um, the credibility, the star power you have, which you realize you have for a limited amount of time. And that's probably true for lots of people, not just women and money. And you invest in buying some good writing or meeting good writers and coming up with a project that's bankable. You throw yourself in it. You take some of your friends, you throw them into it 
and then you produce that thing. I know she did that, for instance, with Miss Congeniality, mm. um, which was, you know, if you look back on it, was it the greatest movie I've ever seen? No, but that's a great movie. It's a fun, it, you know, it's a smart comedy. Miss Congeniality too is very missable, but that's <laughs> fine. If Sandra were here, I'd tell that to her. I'd still worship her. Um, I think Ocean's 8 was amazing. I haven't that, seen it yet. Oh, that's one of my comfort movies. You know, you're talking about when you go through the whole Netflix thing. Yeah. Holly and I go through that too. We're rewatching The West Wing. Um, I know, Sorkin. So, um, but so I know I'm getting brilliant. sidelined. I just want to say there's two movies that we will always watch if we can't figure out what to watch. Ocean's 8 or Crazy Rich Asians. Oh, so, oh, so good. I love it. All right, so, delightful. so let me talk to you about your experience as an actress. So you, you, you're doing all this stuff in the Midwest before you even come to New York. Did you, you, you were young. I remember being in my 20s. I knew nothing. <laughs> but I was a guy, so my mistakes, like I, looking back, I certainly had people say shitty things to me, but I never um, until much later felt uh, that I was, had a physical issue. I'm not going to talk about me now, but I did, by the way, you know, you can be a guy and still be physically, uh, how was it? Assault is a little strong, but get unwanted physical attention. Yeah, um, but that's sort of like, the, when Me Too hit the fan, I learned of how widespread all of that stuff was. I had no idea. And I, I think I'm just like this, I don't know, I'm a decent white guy who never like grabbed a woman and threw her in a closet and tried to make out with her. But people did that stuff. And I've heard stories from all of my friends, from my wife. And I'm like, this is all happening? I had no idea. So I'm not asking you to relive horrible things or anything, but did you have any, I mean, did you also go, yeah, oh, that was part of being an actress and dealing with this kind of nonsense or did you not have that at all? Uh, well, I mean, that's a big, it's a big question. It's a big subject. And um, sure. I, I certainly cannot, uh, I can only speak for myself and my experience because, you know, I know so many women have dealt with so many different situations, but, but yeah. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> um, I was fortunate that I never had any, anything extreme happen to me, but I'm the microaggressions, like the, the little, and, and it's less that and more just, um, the things that you come to accept as normal. And then you realize, wow, that is not okay. And, and I don't know if you've ever seen it. There's a brilliant Twitter feed, actually. And of course, I'm not going to be able to remember the handle of it now. Um, but, uh, but I'll send it to you. You can, you know, include it. And it is, um, it's, it's a producer, an unnamed, and I believe male producer who runs this Twitter feed. And all he does is anytime he comes across in a script, a description of a female character. He replaces the name with Jane right. and, and just types out the description. And you would be shocked at how whenever there's a description of a female character in a script, no matter how large or how small, it, there's always a physical descriptor. There's, it's always about her attractiveness or lack thereof, 
how she looks, how, you know, there's often that beautiful, but doesn't know it. Um, or pretty when she smiles. Shapely? Sh- yeah. Do people say shapely anymore? Um, I, I haven't seen that one myself I'm in a while. Old. But I'm so painfully old. But shapely <laughs> sure was they do. Thing. Well, I, th- I think the, like, you know, the funny, fat best friend is kind of a thing. Yeah. She's heavy. Well, yeah. Okay, but it's but just I, when you when you describe male characters, you never handsome is never the first. It, you know, you might say like grizzled or or like uh, world weary or something, but but you ne- it's never mm. about how handsome he is, or it, it's like that isn't a factor in his essential character the way it so often has been in in how roles for women are are created. And I, I guess I bring this up because as that was a gradual realization for me after many years of just kind of consuming it and assuming that it was normal. And, Mm -hmm. and then this kind of, wait a second. And at the same time, I was writing more and more and um, interested in, you know, telling the stories, not just uh, waiting for someone to give me a part. And that just became a really eye-opening uh, just really eye-opening. And, and it's, it's made me look at the biases and the prejudices that I have. You know, I, I may be seeing those things about women, but I'm a white woman. I have all kinds of privilege that, right. that colleagues of mine don't have and things that are easy for me to not see because I don't deal with it on a day-to-day basis. So I think... I mean, I'm hopeful. And I think because of Me Too, we're in... And because of God, everything that's happened this year, we're in this kind of awakening moment where some of these things that have just been accepted as status quo are starting to be Well, I think we have unwired. We, we have the envelope, the window. Um, you know, I'm just going to pat you and me on the back and go, you know, I'd like to think we, you and I, I know us, we're super liberal people. We would never say we're better than anybody and want equal opportunity for everybody. Right. But, you know, we, I think I can speak for both of us and correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. We had no idea how bad it was for people of color until this year. I'll speak for myself. Now, by the way, no, my been- main job, my main way of making money is I represent a lot of criminal defendants and appeals from their criminal convictions and their guilty pleas. And a great many of those people are people of color. And I see systemic racism. And I've been seeing it for three decades. But I still, it took me watching a special by Dave Chappelle. It took me watching a movie by Ava DuVernay, if I'm saying that name correctly, Mm -hmm. called The 13th. Now, I have no constitution, but she talks about the 13th Amendment and its history. And I, my eyes were opened in a way where I couldn't turn away from either of those things. And so much more. Um, and I started to really look at what, what this country has been doing. And I don't want to get on a whole, we suck rant. And I don't, you know, and I'm not about to, I don't know, become a, a Black Panther member or I don't know if they would have me if they even still exist for that matter. But that's not my point. My point is just that there's an opportunity. So much has been revealed. And now we have a choice. It's a lot like the matrix. You know, you get your blue pill and your red pill. But even 
the thing about that is like many aspects of awakening i'll use that term once your eyes are open even when you choose to close them again or look away you will always have the knowledge so you can never fully go back to sleep i believe so that also like in the matrix and you know spoiler alert people the movie's been out for decades get over it when one of the characters says look i want to go back he sells out the other characters and he wants to go back and get a great job or whatever within the matrix he's always going to know he's just a floating guy in a pot of pus or whatever the hell that is <laughs> and it's all made up and it's yeah. you know what i mean yeah. and i feel like we all once we all have our eyes opened and we see how we operate how our culture operates you know you and i have done a lot of seminars together it's part of how we know each other and with uh Errol and Shia came and one of the benefits of doing those seminars is we take a look at how we operate in the world and our what our conditioned beliefs are and they're not just us you know the whole society is a culture and uh you know I grew up having a lot of respect for police but then I also watched people get summarily executed in the street by police and that is a cognitive dissonance moment yeah uh and sometimes you just have to live in the uncomfortable space of there's no easy answer yeah i just went on a rant uh, sorry about that that no no sorries no sorries needed it's it's important uh it's an important part of where we are right now and um I think but as an, an artist moment well i know you and i know that as a writer and a director even more than as an actor i'm sure you see opportunities here yeah absolutely um i mean one of the things that i think is exciting that's happening now is that and it's it's incremental it's not like the floodgates opened went because of me too and because of the um racial justice movements that were happening this summer but but there are shiftings that are starting to take place where doors that have been traditionally held closed are starting to be opened and you know i think like you were just saying like we can't like it's fundamentally changed how i see so like actually when i go back and i watch a movie from the 80s i'm like oh my god like this is what i grew up consuming and yet now all i can see is the absence of things all i can see is how it's there's one female character all the people are white like you know what i mean and many of those movies i love and enjoy and i i don't think we need to throw out everything that came before um just because we have new information but it is it it is i think you know i'm seeing things differently now and i hope a lot of other people are too in terms of <clears throat> you know inviting more people to the table to tell their stories because Hollywood has been forever, well, yeah, has been, you know, exclusively one point of view telling the stories. Like 90 some percent of the people writing, directing and producing have been straight white men. I and look at things like I I'm I'm friends, which I liked watching. I recently saw some episodes of Friends and I'm like, wow, everybody's white. they had they make very little money and they live in the nicest biggest apartment in Greenwich Village yeah. 
which yeah. if you're not from New York, this doesn't happen, my friends, just telling no. you. Um, also, um, Ross's, again, these are all uh, spoilers and friends have been on for decades, so get yeah. over it. Um, Ross's ex-wife, they, they broke up because she was gay and she is a six foot tall lesbian who looks like a fashion model who ends up with another six feet tall lesbian who also looks like a fashion model. And those are the only lesbians that are allowed to be in the show. Right. There's, which, you know, look, I'm 6'3". I'm not a fashion model, though. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, I'm funny, but I'm not, you know, I'm, you know what I'm saying? I can't, so it's, it's not like Mrs. Maisel. Okay, let's transition to that for a minute. Because, by sure. the way, you were in that show for yes. a, an episode. And that show, um, for all its other potential problems, if people want to hate on it or whatever, that show features a lot of interesting types of people that normally don't get seen, including one of the main characters who is an out or about as out as you could be in the 50s and 60s, lesbian. Um, and But we never see her with another woman yet, as far as I know. But um, she is an interesting character and she's got a lot going on and they think they passed the Bechtel test between her and, and uh, Ms. Maisel. Um, actually, why don't you tell us what the Bechtel test is? Cause I just threw it out there. Sure. Well, um, I mean, I, I can't tell you the history of it, but my understanding of it is that <laughs> The, uh, a scene in a Hollywood movie or any movie passes the Bechdel test if you have two f women, neither of whom is talking about a man. <laughs> um, because largely in films, what we've seen is when there are two women alone together, the, the subject of their conversation is generally about men. And so, you know, and that's what I think we're seeing more and more of is... Um, you know, just the different facets of, <laughs> of people's lives that, you know, that a woman isn't always there to be the girlfriend or the wife or, you know, to be in or, service to a, a man. Or the bitch who keeps yes, you from getting right. what you want. Exactly. I mean, there, we have expanded, but, yeah. you know, I just heard an interview with Glenn Close and um, fascinating, but even her, in her career, not as many roles in the way that we would like to see women have the opportunity to play. Recently, she was in a movie, and I don't know if you got a chance to see it. I think she won the Oscar for this one. I feel like the last several years are a blur now because of the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, so I apologize to people. But there was a movie where she was the wife of a Nobel Prize winning author, or it was an author. And you discover a lot of things about the relationship and who she really is. And that is one of the few things that I recently saw where that's an awesome role for a woman. That's an mm -hmm. interesting woman character. Did you see that movie? I, I don't even remember what it's called. I, I remember gonna... her winning for that, but I didn't, I didn't see uh, that one, no. And it was with, um, the actor who played opposite her is the guy who, uh, forget his name. He used to. Was it Ben do, Kingsley? No. No, he did Infinity. No, John Lithgow? No, no, although she was, in a, and things with him too. God, 
<laughs> wow, we are, I'm so sorry. Um, it's not fatal attraction. Uh, oh my goodness, it's it's very funny. So I'm looking her up on IMDb. Isn't it called like the wife or something? I think it is called something like that. Um, and I, oh boy, this is terrible that I'm staring at the IMDb while we're doing this. It is called The Wife and it's from 2017. So I nice. I swear it came out last year. What do I know? Yeah. It's Jonathan Price. Oh, Jonathan Price, yes. Who From I Brazil. Loved. <gasps> I loved that movie. That's a, I love that movie too. That's a But I also, movie. that movie haunted me for years. It's terrifying. It still was. <laughs> That's Terry Gilliam. Yeah. Like, now, what's interesting, we, we, he's not a woman, but we can still talk about him. Um, there's a guy, and every time I see one of his movies, I think two things at the same time. I think, that's brilliant. How did he get that made? Mm. Because none of his films are what I would consider American or anything that most of the business wants to put money into. The Fisher King. Let's talk mm. about the Fisher King, which had arguably three of the best actors of our time, which is uh, Mercedes Rule, who I love. Oh, Amanda Plummer also. I'm throwing the women in there first, but they were yes. fantastic. <laughs> Jeff Bridges in his prime, mm. and Robin Williams not being quote unquote Robin Williams. He's playing a real character, and this is a this is like a really bad acid trip. This movie. Yeah. Fisher King, you've seen it, right? I have, but not for a long yeah, time. Yeah, me either. And it's haunting. Yeah. And it's beautiful. And it's got so much heart, but you have to go through this catharsis with the characters to get through to the other side. Yeah. I feel like Brazil is the anti-catharsis. It's like you go through all this terrible thing <laughs> until you realize the horror and that you're trapped in the nightmare. And it was... I mean, Robert De Niro was perfect in that movie. Uh, but anyway, uh, in Brazil, Robert De Niro oh, is the hero. He? No, like, isn't it Jonathan Price that plays the lead in Brazil? He, he does, but there's a guy oh. who like saves them. But oh, save yes! Them. It's Robert De Niro. I forgot he was in that. He's fantastic in that movie. Because he he's not Robert De Niro brooding right. mafia De Niro. Right, right. Well, hey, fun fact about Mercedes Rule. Um, just because you, you know, you dropped that I did a Broadway show. Uh, I got to play opposite Mercedes Rule for four nights on the Broadway. Tell us about it. Because first of all, love her. Yeah. Uh, second of all, love you. Third of all, love Broadway. So <laughs> hit me. What Broadway show were you in with her? Well, I understudied for the younger female lead in a play called the american plan um this is going back to like 2008 maybe it was a while ago mm -hmm. um and uh i understudied lily rabe and i was brought in actually because the previous understudy had another commitment and so i was brought in kind of like when the the whole thing had already been up in previews or something Mm -hmm. ever get to really know the cast I you know kind of waved and smiled at them and they were very nice but I didn't really get to to know them and I had I think I had been on the show two weeks maybe I had gotten the role and I had started learning my lines and then like two weeks later I 
I, <laughs> we had a matinee and an evening show and I got off the train after like the, I was there for the matinee because, oh, sidebar on Broadway. Um, if you're an understudy, you actually arrive at, sh you know, just before showtime, you stay on premises until your character makes their last entrance of the of the play so that essentially if they went out at any time you would be there ready to go on and um and so you know the matinee went fine i went home to grab dinner i got off the train and i got the call from the stage manager saying you're going on tonight and i was <laughs> like okay uh and i turned around and i went right back into the city and we had like a quick um you know, like a run through footwise. Like, exactly, like a quick run through. The cast was all lovely. And oh, gosh, I'm not going to be able to remember exactly what she said, but Mercedes Rule came down to my dressing room. I think she gave me like a couple of her lucky ta like talismans. Like she gave me a lucky uh -huh. penny and a, a, a lucky, it wasn't like a rabbit's foot, but it was something. And she Not just a monkey's said, paw, because that would be a whole other. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she was just very, she was so gracious. And then. I uh, love hearing that. I love hearing that. So gracious, so supportive. And then afterwards, so um, congratulatory. And, uh, and, you know, it was a very cool experience in many ways. I think I did that entire first show on adrenaline, like only. Yeah, like it was yeah. just like all a blur and all adrenaline. Uh, and somehow I managed to get through and take my bow at the end and not pass out. But um, what theater was it, by the way? <laughs> it was uh, Manhattan Theater Club. Uh, their Broadway theater is the Bilt Biltmore. Is that right? Okay. Uh, I, I that could be totally you. wrong. It's, um, it's their the, Broadway house. Um, I, I'm sorry I interrupted you just because no, no, I don't have a ton of, ton of time. But I, look, I've been backstage at all sorts of professional things, but I've never been on Broadway. What was that? I mean, was that amazing? I mean, can you tell me anything? You know what's funny is, yes, it was, first of all. But when I went out on stage that night before the show to, like, warm up, you know, do some vocal exercises, I looked out and I was like, oh, it's a theater. It's a theater. And it, it looked like, I mean, yes, it was, like, Broadway, but it was also a theater like it had the same kind of magic as as any theater. And and also on Broadway, BT dubs, there's like no backstage space. <laughs> so, oh, right. Like you have the idea that there are these grand, big auditoriums. And yeah, they may look like that from the audience, but the backstage is like non-existent. You literally walk off and you're like up against the wall and the assistant stage manager. And then you have to like go upstairs or downstairs to your dressing room. So. And the dressing rooms aren't huge, are they? No, no. I mean, it's New York. Everything's small, so. <laughs> it's real estate, people. Yeah, It's like exactly. if you want a bigger dressing room, that you're going to have to take like half the pay because yeah. they have to sell something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, at some, I would imagine that at the end of the night you were floating. I, I was. And my husband was in the audience. He, you know, oh, we awesome. they gave us comps and so he he came and um he was so supportive and uh thrilled and and like i said i got to go on actually three more times over the next couple days and by that point i was able to i think breathe and slow down enough to enjoy myself oh but that's what i was going to say is that one of the things that was so lovely about it was that i did 
each performance like it was my one and only shot you know mm. like i wasn't guaranteed i didn't know if this was like if she if the person i was understudying was going to be back tomorrow and then i'm you know like and and i just feel like you know you talked about the workshops that we do the the seminars with ariel and shia and i i feel like what we um you know what we practice or what we learn there is is being in the moment and is is um being there for this moment of your life and and that was one of those early moments for me where I was like, there was this sense of, of gratitude and, and immediacy. And, um, it was, it was a very cool experience. Wow. I'm, I'm really glad that you got to have those experiences. I, yeah. I, but I know you've done also incredibly rewarding theater in very tiny spaces. Um, I, I know you did sort of a one, I don't know if it was exactly a one woman show, but you did, uh, in Greenwich Village at one of my favorite places that it wasn't Hotel Mama. It was the, what was uh, the duplex. Yeah. I love the duplex. So for people who are not from New York, the duplex um, is a, I don't even know if I'd call it a theater space. It's like a performance space on one level, mm. very tiny where you can get a drink and maybe a snack. And then there's also a bar. And I don't know if it's officially a gay bar, but it's pretty unofficially a gay bar. I mean, not, it's not. On the, it's on the heart of Greenwich Village. It's. Yeah, I mean, it's not like you have to be gay to go there. They don't card you and say how gay are you or anything. Um, but um, you know, it's a nice place to meet other gay people if you're a gay person, um, or just anyone in the theater. Because let's face it, yeah. it is a big theater hangout too. Sure, like, we've yeah. both been there more than a few times. Um, and that is a great place to perform because it's incredibly intimate mm. and um, it's like performing at home in a weird way. Um, yeah. But And I know it's not Broadway and maybe technically it's off or even off-off. I think it's off-off, but... Because uh, for people who don't know, technically these... Calling something off-Broadway has nothing to do with its physical location. It has to do with the size of the audience. And same with Broadway, although technically Broadway does have to do, it's not on Broadway, but it has to be in a certain area of New York. And then it also has to have a certain amount of seats. I don't remember what it is. Contact your local equity office. That's the American Equity <laughs> Association. I think, is that Actors' Equity? Yeah, uh, Actors' Equity Association. You're not gonna do it, why do I say it? But if you wanna talk more about this stuff, or you want me to talk about anything acting, go to isthatreallylegal.com, leave me a message. If you have questions about Leah and what she really like, I'll let you know. Because uh, this is all a facade. No, it's not a facade. Um, <laughs> um, we're going to be wrapping it up soon. I feel like we just started. I did want to say that having your husband come and be supportive, people have no idea that you and Andy are really teammates. And yeah. that, I mean, I don't have enough time to go into how much when people say, oh, they're supportive of each other. No, you guys literally help each other get jobs. You, you direct yeah. him in auditions. Um, even before the pandemic, a lot of actors would put themselves, we call it putting themselves on tape, where they do a home video or computer video that then gets sent off to the casting people, where you do a tiny bit of the, of the script and they see you do sort of a camera test in your own home. 
-hmm. And Andy's got a tremendous advantage because he's got an incredible actress working opposite him who also is an incredible director and who can say, I think that's great, but I would do this next time and let's try it one more time. Or you nailed it and let's just do it. You know, like I, I know because I've heard you talk about it and I know you both. And he'd do the same for you, I assume. Because yeah. he's also yeah. an, a great actor and he's an acting teacher in NYU. Um, I just He's my favorite. He's my favorite actor, my favorite acting <laughs> teacher, and my favorite human. Um, no offense. Uh, I'm, not, I, I love I'm you all right too, with that. But... <laughs> I'm amongst the top hundred, I hope. Yeah. I, I'm not going to ask you what number. I'm just going to assume it's <laughs> high up there. It's high up there. But, Thank you. But no, I, I feel very grateful to have the partnership that we have. I mean, it, it wasn't always like that. When we met, we were like fierce, competitive actors. And even though we clearly weren't going out for the same roles, we would still get jealous if the other one had an audition and we didn't. And, and, um, you know, the, the skills that we've learned for listening and communicating and um, being in the moment have just supported us in being able to really be a team and to have it be a win-win, you know, to have, like, I really feel like his wins are my wins. And, and uh, yeah, I'm so grateful for that because um, it's, I think, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's special and, and, and it's possible for, it's possible. I, I don't, I don't think we're, I don't think we're special. And of course what we have is special, but um, it's a, well, I, I see famous actors who get married or in relationship. It's very unusual for them to either stay out of the spotlight or last a long time, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think even though you don't have paparazzi hanging out in your Brooklyn <laughs> neighborhood, um, Yet. We do, well, what's funny is that you and I have neighbors who are far more famous than we are. Yeah. That we sometimes see, like whether it's Mike Birbiglia, who people may know him as a really funny stand-up comic who lives in our neck of the woods, mm -hmm. or um, uh, for the people from The Americans, that couple, Carrie uh, Russell yeah, and Carrie uh, Russell. somebody, Reese. Um, uh, Matthew Reese. Right. Who, I mean, they walk around our neighborhood like real yeah. people. Um, but they also, neither of those people... Um, or none of those people uh, is interested in paparazzi or being in the papers. I think yeah. that's part of why they live in Brooklyn. They avoid, <laughs> no, really, they like want to have lives. Yeah. Um, and I think that even if you were in that situation, if you were uber famous, whatever, I think that you know that that's not where the happiness is. Yeah. It's, it's funny, as a child, I think you and I had that in common. We thought being famous would make us happy. Oh, yeah. And we've both been around famous people. And I can tell you, I've been around a lot of unhappy, famous, incredibly wealthy people. None yep. of those things makes you happy. I mean, don't yeah. get me wrong. I'd be fine if I had a lot of money. <laughs> I would make it work for me. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not the... And, and, but by, by world standards, I'm crazy rich anyway, not to make people upset with me. But come on, I, I yeah. live in the city. I'm an attorney. I have friends. I'm not worried yeah. about I have food in my fridge. You know, yeah. like, I'm doing okay. And you are too. You know, I have to tell you, I was feeling very, very flush uh, because, you know, when I was a kid, there were certain things that like, we, we just didn't get like, because they were, they were not on the essential list. They were on the like, 
ex- like extravagant or, or luxury item list, including like pickles and olives. You know, those were like not, those were like what fancy people had or more than one kind of mustard. And so I was just like appreciating the other day, like, like I got pickles in my fridge. I'm pretty rich, you know, like it's the little things. I think more of brand name cookies, like, you know, oh, we yeah. didn't get Oreos, we got like Hydrox. Those, or, those oh, disgusting Hydrox cookies. Oh, no, that's don't. what we had. <laughs> don't don't file lawsuits. Oh, sorry, me. sorry. That's okay. That's fine. Hydrox people, you can bleep that out, right? That's fine. Uh, you know what? It's just a matter of taste. It's we didn't really talk about anything legal. Is that is that okay? Well, it, you know, let me. It usually is. That's why it's called. Is that really legal? Because sometimes there's absolutely nothing legal discussed. Is there anything that you feel like you've run up against the law that you want to tell people that even as an actress, a producer, a writer, that no matter what, you still bump into the law? I mean, you do contracts, you know, um, and uh, yeah. But is there anything that you're like, you know, you're wanted in Minnesota and you can't go back? (laughs) You think I'd tell you if I was? (laughs) I'd hope you would tell me just not on the air. Maybe you tell me, you know, as your attorney. Yeah. No, I was, I was a very, uh, law abiding, uh, young woman. I never, still probably, I, yeah, I'm still pretty, yeah. Lawful. I, I haven't had any major run-ins, um, or minor run-ins really for that matter. Your husband admitted some stuff to me. He mentioned that, but I can't wait to go back and listen to his episode to get the the full scoop. But, um, (laughs) but no, I do, I do love, I have to say, you know, you and other friends of ours who are lawyers, I, I love hearing about the law more than ever right now because our, of our moment that we're in. I am so grateful for the justice system and the protections that, that, that so many people are fighting for. And uh, I don't take that for granted. And I, um, I just really admire the work that you do and that, um, Thank that um, so many people do to to keep our our country and our world just and fair. Well, well, thanks. Are you? Um, I, I know you did a project with another one of my guests recently. You directed uh, Jenna Baresi's short film. I she did. Lo- we we uh, you can listen to that podcast because we both loved on you. Um, uh But it's hard not to. I. I did one bit of work for you for a friend's birthday gift where you made a short film and <laughs> I was in it with my wife and it was very funny. You did an awesome job. It was so simple and, and delightful. Um, do you have any projects in the works? Are you, I mean, I know you work professionally for an organization, sort of a day job as a director and a producer, but in mm-hmm. your own stuff, do you have any side projects that you're in the process of or? Uh, I do. I, uh, I mean, obviously, because of the pandemic, the, there's not a lot in production right now, or, or production is in various levels of uh, reorganization um, in terms of the TV and film industry. But I have been working on um, my first feature film screenplay. I have a number of different projects that I am developing and that I've uh, a short film that actually was shot last year. But um but this is a project that I, uh, that is for me to direct. Like there's other projects where like, I'd be happy to hand it off and have someone else direct it. But this one is, is close to my heart. And it's, it's one that I, um, you know, looking ahead to 2021 and we're hopefully, you know, when we move into 
being able to, um, my goal is to, to finish the script. I'm at, on about page 90 at the moment. So I'm really getting close to, to the end. And, uh, you know, I'm looking toward uh, next year starting pre-production on that. Um, That's awesome. For people who yeah. don't know about screenplays, usually one page translates to one minute in film. And so you want to be somewhere between 90 and 120 if you want to be commercial. It, you know, that's a whole conversation we could have on a whole other podcast. Yeah. Watch adaptation. That is just <laughs> like a screenwriter's nightmare and paradise. Do you like, I love that movie. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I love Charlie Kaufman. Oh. Like crazy amazing. I haven't seen his newest film. I saw that. That's in my Netflix queue as well. What's that? What's it called? Oh, I'm not going to be able to remember the title. That's one of the things as I get older is like, I feel like I, ha I have a very insatiable curiosity and I love learning about things, but like stuff just has to go to the like long-term storage. Cause I can't, I can't keep that around. I got to make room for, for more. So it's like, my memory is like Swiss cheese. My husband will tell you that I should never be a character witness. I should never be called to the stand to like testify about what I saw unless it's on TV because I have a terrible memory. I, um, I did see you in, was it SVU? Oh, yeah, yeah. Episode? Boy, you were very sad and unhappy. Uh, that, was, that was, that was <laughs> grim. That was, yeah, you know. I mean, uh, you were fine. I, I believed you, but I just, it was really terrible. It was, um, it was a your performance was great. The show, <laughs> the subject matter of the show was terrible. Um, I, I think that your and my mind are like Brooklyn apartments. There's only so much room. You keep the things that you really want to see on a regular basis in there. Everything else goes to the storage place. <laughs> it's like yep, Christmas tree right ornaments, <laughs> whatever. We'll if we need them, we know where they are. We don't, we don't know what they are. We just know and that's somewhere. In, I know where the storage space is. Anyway, uh, let me say one last thing. Is there any, if there's two movies that you think a young woman should see right now. There could be any, I know it, it's, it's a terrible question. I don't care. Are there and it could be anything from a Disney movie to like a, something completely red, that you think, wow, everyone should see these two movies, especially young women. Uh, oh, what man. do you think? Because I just thought of one right off the top of my head. Oh, what's yours? Well, I think Moana is one oh. of them because I love how she does it pretty much all in her own. I mean, she has help from Maui, but um, she's not, she doesn't need a dude and she's a force to be reckoned with. And that's not to say that she won't have a dude someday. It's great. But also, you know, it's not about her looks. She's cute, but she's a teenager and she doesn't have the perfect bosom and took it and rear end. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like she's not that, that, you know, she's, she's not Ariel, she's although not I Disney love, princess. exactly, yeah. even though she's a Disney princess of sorts. So that's one she, of them. She is, she's, um, oh, well, you gave me inspiration for one of mine, which is Hamilton. Uh, if oh. you haven't seen the, you know, because now people have access to see it on Disney plus. Right. Um, and I think, you know, young boys, young girls, like everyone should see it. Uh, it it's, you know, I, I'm like the million and second person to say this. This is not news <laughs> by why, any means. But why? Other than why? like, it's great. Like, is there well, something specifically, is it because the women characters are so interesting? 
I feel like it's, it's, it's taking, you know, it's shaking up what we've been taught as history. And it's, it, you know, it's, um, yeah, like it, it, it's not only the female characters, but the, you know, like by casting it the way they have by, by recasting the founding fathers with this incredibly diverse uh, group of people, putting it with a hip hop soundtrack, you know, just the genius creative design. Um, I, I just think it's um, something anyone like in high school right now should see, you know? Um, and gosh, in terms of, you know, I'll just, I don't know that this is uh, an important movie in the grand scheme of things, uh, but I can share one of my favorite movies sure. um, that really touched me and, ins and I think was pivotal in, in inspiring me to want to not only act, but write and produce. And, and that's actually the 1996, I think, um, version of Sense and Sensibility uh, starring and written by Emma Thompson, directed by Ang Lee. I, uh, yeah, she wrote the screenplay, by the way. I think she yeah. might have gotten the Academy she, Award. She did. And I talked about the movie with Men of Unprog, and we both uh, agreed. <laughs> and you really? can just, oh, yeah. If uh, you don't cry at the end of that movie, uh, you're not a human being, and I can't be your friend. Yeah, it is, it is like in my top it's probably in my top three it is just a movie that i saw in the theater when it came out Same. on my birthday oh, and awesome. i just uh you know i think maybe on my 16th birthday and now i've just dated myself uh you know but that's fine if you can do the math but um i i just you know it's i love jane austen and so it's the it's just a beautiful story about family about sisters about love about um disenfranchisement finding you yourself yeah in a, yeah um, about class and money and all, all kinds of good stuff there's a bazillion amazing actors in it and both your husband yeah. and i do an alan rickman impersonation from yes. that film. i did it for Mana. i'll do it for you now yes. i know you didn't Thank ask you. but i know you deeply want me to do this uh, absolutely i must have an occupation that's Terrible. So good. Sorry, Alan. No, um, it's so good. He's so, he's so gorgeous in that movie. I, so. I love that movie. And The Pride and Prejudice. Oops, are you there? Did I leave oh, you? I am. I oh, just okay. went into low power mode. I All think right, well, I'm, we're going to wrap it up because I've gone over, but I will say that for people who haven't seen it, The Pride and Prejudice that's uh, from like 2006 or something oh. with Kira Knightley, I used to like the six hour one with Colin Firth only. It is beautiful, it is great. But if you only have two hours, the one with Kira Knightley, and I can't remember his name, but he's on Succession as a very different guy. Oh. Um, another great thing to watch, Succession on HBO. Um, I've heard. You know, I'm so thrilled that we had time to get together uh, and see thank each other. So, yes, thank uh, you so much for having me. Thank you, you're a very, interesting person and I want people to know that you're out there and they should look out for things that you're doing you're pretty thank you so much for being on is that really legal with Eric Rubin I thank you so much it's been such a pleasure
So it was great to have Leah. Uh, I hope you enjoyed her as much as I enjoyed speaking with her, as much as I enjoy knowing her. Um, her work is so good. You're gonna enjoy it when you get a chance to see it, listen to it, see her. Make sure you get a chance also to enjoy Abe's muffins. They have, uh, they're allergy free, they're great for kids. They're so easy uh, to shove in your mouth and enjoy in large quantities. If you have any questions about the show, about my guests, about me, about Abe's muffins, go to isthatreallylegal.com. I'd love to hear from you. Please wear a mask, please be safe. I need you as my listener, so stay safe and take care of yourself and those you love, and I'll see you next time.